Hey, one more thing before you go. Why does reality exist? Why is there something rather than nothing? What happens to you when we die? These are life's most profound questions, and today we embark on a journey to explore the mysteries of existence. Join me as we meet a mystic and a practicing psychonaut. Don't worry, we're going to talk about that. And explore the boundaries between me and you, delusion and reality, death and birth, bridging the gap between spiritual awakening and our worldly existence. I'm your host, Michael Hurst. Welcome to One More Thing Before You Go. My guest in this episode is Alex Berkeley. Having been gifted with over 20 years of lucid dreaming, numerous mystical experiences, and a personal connection to NDEs, that's a near-death experience, Alex is a student first and a teacher second to life's biggest questions. He studied and graduated at Dartmouth College, earned a bachelor's degree in earth sciences, leading him to rediscovering the joy behind nature's existence. His first book, Why Does Reality Exist?, is his attempt at teaching the product of his experiences, trying to uncover the riddle behind the world of existence. Welcome to the show, Alex. It's good to be here, Michael. So excited for it. feels very surreal. I've seen some of your episodes before, and now to actually be on camera, it's a, it's a nice experience. Well, I'm honored for that. Thank you very much. We're going to have a great conversation. We had a kind of a little prequel to what we were going to talk about and how we have so much in common with regard to the universe and our interconnectivity as human beings and uh, reality of what exists out there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think interconnectedness is so central to kind of my worldview. I think that, you know, generally people see themselves as cut off, like we're a stranger to the world that we inhabit. But you know, the real truth of it is that we are, we are part of nature. We're not apart from nature. We are part of nature. We're not apart from reality. We are part of reality. So we're all kind of embedded in this sort of psychical oneness together. And it's, it's so awe-inspiring to think that kind of the mystery that brought me here is the same mystery that brought you here, that brought my mom here, that brought people from millennia ago. And all of us have the same kind of ancient mystery that we've all had on our hands and from my point of view no one has kind of sufficiently solved it yet of why does reality exist but i believe that and we'll get into it that mystical experience provides an insight perhaps into answering this riddle i, I agree with that and you know I, it's interesting because there are certain groups of individuals that have been practicing this connection to the universe connection to nature the connectedness of us for such for thousands upon thousands of years, we've got the the Native Americans, you know, and how they do their ceremonies and how they connect to the earth and in in those in the universe around them. Same thing with Eastern practices, whether it be Zen or Buddhism or you know, any Tibetan, any one of these that happen to have a clearer understanding, I should say. So. I, I'm excited about this conversation. I think we can uh, maybe motivate some people. We can inspire some people. And uh, we are absolutely going to educate some people. So let's kind of start at the beginning, if you don't mind. Where'd you grow up? Yeah, so to kind of give you um, 
a general background. I grew up in a small town called Vestal, New York. Actually, before that, it was Amherst, um, kind of better known as Buffalo, and grew up with generally a small family. So it was like I didn't have much of an extended family. Um, you know, my aunts didn't have children, and then kind of my parents didn't have many siblings. So it was just kind of a close knit family. But our family was super close. I have three brothers, a twin. Um, I have another brother that's seven years older than I am, another brother that's 12 years older. We're all very different um, personality wise. We went down drastically different career paths, but ultimately, um, I'd say, you know, if you had 100 people in a room, you can pick us out. We do have um, kind of similar values. We're all vegan, for instance. Uh, we all kind of have been instilled with the value of trying to be kind towards other people, um, help out the world. Um, those sort of things. Uh, not exactly, our parents weren't hippies exactly, but we did get that uh, moral compass at least to kind of help uh, help solve the world a little bit, the, the pain that people feel. So um, I guess I'd say, you know, it's not real too interesting about growing up in Vestal or anything like that, but I'd say um, one thing I think is going to dovetail with our conversation a bit is that I grew up, act strangely enough, not very mystical at all. In fact, if anything, I was sort of, um, I was sort of uh, kind of, I say there's always kind of two versions to yourself. One is, you know, how do you present yourself to other people? What do you kind of profess that you believe? And then when you actually peel down that, what do you truly believe inside? What's kind of your gut instinct inside? And I think the gut instinct in my side, in, inside of me, uh, was that even though I was hopeful that there was something more to this universe, something more to this reality, something more to my existence, I was hopeful about it and humble before that question. I ultimately, if I was being entirely honest, felt that it was probably just blackness at, at the end. And um, it was a very sad feeling because, you know, it's, it's just not a good view to kind of grow up with. And then I was sort of... Um, you know, every single time, yeah. Can go I ask ahead. you a quick question, real quick? What it, it, did you go up in a religious background? Were your parents religious? Did you go to Not church? Not particularly. Or? My my father was very religious, but my mom is like sort of the opposite. So it's kind of interesting. Uh, they don't really kind of balance one another out. A little bit from there, yeah. I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to interrupt, stop you, but but yeah. uh, coming from the the perception, you know, a lot of us. I grew up Catholic. I'm not a practicing Catholic at the moment. I'm more into a spiritual aspect of life instead of uh, sure. taking the organized religion perspective. But, you know, when you grow up with that, you get told that this exists and this is this and this is that. And this is this is the reason for and this is what you have to believe. Well, I see, I, I heard a lot of that. And that's honestly what kind of made me um, very skeptical towards religion. You You have to understand, like I grew up in a school system and it wasn't particular to Vestal it's just I think general is that we had to deal with this like debate about evolutionism versus creationism you know these things like is God a man in the sky with a beard and just I and almost every single issue I just could not take spirituality seriously and you know I'd say in fact for the longest time I couldn't even hear the word spiritual I would just like you know plug my ears and think that's synonymous with kind of nonsense or uh, quackery and, um, you know, it was just, it was a long journey for me because I felt that for me personally, it was going to be like, at best, this was a security blanket for people that were afraid of death and at worst ideological indoctrination. So it's been a big journey kind of having to pivot from that. And I'd say 
I kind of put myself in this situation because I had this all or nothing mindset. I thought that because, you know, there's just uh, probably it's not just one man with a beard in the sky. Therefore, everything with spirituality you need to throw out uh, entirely. And I think when I finally had a bunch of mystical phenomena that started hitting my life, it caused a tremendous amount of cognitive dissonance. I ultimately had to um, you know, seek a psychiatrist to explain what's going on. I thought I was potentially psychotic. Um, it caused a long mental health battle, um, dealing with synchronicities, uh, you know, having mystical experiences. So it's been an, it's been an interesting journey. Let's put it that way. Wait, you, you've, you've spoken about mystical experiences and, and so yeah. forth a little bit here. Uh, when, when did you have your first mystical experience? Let's, can we hear about that and understand what that was and, and how it affected you the first time? Yeah, so I'd say is it's an interesting question because, um, and one thing I get into my book a lot is that there's this phenomenon that I call spiritual amnesia, which is that you have the mystical experience, but because it's so ineffable, you don't have anything tangible to relate it to. So you just forget it. And when I had my mystical experience around 22 years old, what the mystical experience actually was, it was a flashback to three other mystical experiences I had when I was young. I didn't know it, but I had several of these experiences um, when I was young, and it was just a tremendous experience. You know, psychiatrists may say it was put the term euphoric, but the better term that I like is um, there's a great psychiatrist out there, the founder of psychiatry, William James, who kind of um, set down the phenomenology of religious experience. And one of the hallmark qualities of religious experience or mystical experience is ineffability meaning you don't have quite words to put um, to describe it. You don't have anything tangible to relate it to. It's sort of like you just have to be there to see it. And that's a, that's a uh, description that may not be satisfying to a lot of Western or secular-minded people, but it is absolutely the case that there is phenomena out there that cannot be explained to other people. For instance, try describing the color green to a blind person, someone that's congenitally blind. You can't do it. It's sort of blocked off of their mind. So there's various categories of experiences that one can have. And in any event, I wish I could describe this experience to you, but I really can't. Others saying there was a loss of sense of self. There was a loss of time. Um, I felt interconnected with everything. I felt that, uh, you know, instead of it was me having an experience out there in reality, it was reality itself having an experience. So in other words, we're not like, it's not like we're a stranger in a land, a foreign land. This is our home. We share one home together. We share one reality together. We are reality. And there's a lot of questions out there about is the universe conscious? And it's a separate question if the universe as a whole is conscious. But what's not um, kind of unsettled is the fact that uh, the universe is conscious. It is absolutely conscious because we are conscious and we are part of the universe. So that was sort of the revelation that I got from it. Another revelation I had, and I'll kind of stop my uh, rant here in a little bit, is I had this view that you're always in your mind. You're never outside your mind. People think that they're looking into a world out there. You're actually looking into a world in here. The world that you see out there is simply a mental representation, at least in my worldview, of, of your mind. It's your mind's projection. And when you enter a dream, for instance, or you enter a visionary experience, or you 
have an out-of-body experience, I believe what's actually happening is you're entering simply an altered state of consciousness. You're just flipping from one mind state to another mind state. So when you think about it, you never really are awake <laughs> or you never really are asleep. You're always awake. You're always in some sort of state of consciousness. So it to me was profoundly uh, moving to know that there are because once you've seen something ineffable, once you've seen something that truly transcends what you thought was possible, you start becoming more open-minded. You start saying, well, I didn't think that was possible. So, you know, maybe there is life after death. And then as I started to dig into this a little bit, uh, I was reading some of the revelations that other mystics had had. I read, got really into near-death experiences because my father had one. I saw that I was flipping through the pages and I saw one after one after one was saying the same revelation that we're all interconnected. It's hard to describe. It's ineffable. Uh, it's a sense of extreme wonder, intense feelings of ecstasy on being alive. So it's it, it it's needless to say those experiences have chained me from sort of a skeptical and minded person to more mystically oriented. That's really interesting. How I, I know you went to school at Dartmouth for uh, Earth Sciences. Do you think that yeah. uh, that education, that academic level of that, played any factor in um, how you feel about all, all of this at present? Yeah, it was interesting because when I went to Dartmouth, I actually was a business major, and I was so intent on the whole money uh, economy of trying to get ahead, move ahead, you know, be that great little capitalist, that sort of thing. Um, and then when I went there. Um, and due to certain fates and as it happened, I took a few courses in earth sciences and really liked that. And I had one terrific experience where I went out west and got to see all these places like Col I saw Colorado, I saw, um, you know, California. Mm -hmm. And it just was so beautiful. And I just changed from there from like obsessing about money to now seeing that potentially there is a world of wonder out there through nature. You just only need to look. Yeah, you, know, you know, that's an amazing, I think it's an amazing opportunity when our mind, our body, and our soul happen to recognize that. And we see the difference in that. You know, I, we just took a trip back to Colorado where I, th I told you and most of my listeners, viewers know that this is where I grew up. And um, I, I miss it immensely. I miss the trees, and I miss the mountains, I miss the, the streams and the lakes and, you know, the wildlife and, and that connection with all of that. I live in Arizona now, and, and there, there's wildlife down here, but nothing like there was back in Colorado. But yeah. we went back, and when we went back, you know, my wife and I had this profound um, revelation that this is still home, because she grew up there too. Yeah. You know, this is still home. I mean, we have a home here, and we've made a life here, but to us, it really wasn't home. We had that connection with Colorado and nature and the mountains and the wildlife, and in the the water in the sky and the you know everything connected to it 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 you could feel it in our soul we could feel it in our soul it was really it was really good we really enjoyed that um you mentioned something uh, a few minutes ago about uh, uh that you you studied ndes that's a near-death experience for those of you that don't know what an nde is um there these are individuals that have um, have died and gone to the other side or for some other reason and then I uh, had come back and spoken about it. So you said your father had an NDE. Um, yep. would, can you share that? Absolutely, yeah. Um, it's To me, it's the greatest joy of my life, and it's the centerpiece of my whole mystical beliefs. It just, it, I can't 
explain enough how much his experience means to me. It, you know, I feel like everything else doesn't matter as much when it's put into context with that. But anyhow, his experience, yes. So his experience was that, um, first off, he was a uh, heavy smoker for 20 years and he um, flatlined, he had a heart attack, uh, he had to do a quadruple surgery. It's kind of a medical miracle that he even survived it. Um, but during that time that he flatlined, his, his experience was this, and I'm gonna narrate as if I was him. I felt that I was sort of moving forward. I was aware that I had died and I was moving forward, just moving forward. And I asked him, I said, well, what was the color of the space? And he wasn't so keen on that. He said it was maybe a little bluish, but he was mo I'm moving forward. And then all of a sudden on the left and right of me are two spiritual or not, not, he didn't say spiritual are two, what I would call beings. Um, some people may call them angels, but I don't feel like that term quite fits there. I don't know how to describe it. I don't know how to describe it. I call them beings and those beings were communicating to me, but I wasn't quite using words. There were no words. Um, it was sort of, we communicated mind to mind. Um, they communicated to me. I picked it up instantaneously. I thought of it and I was just sort of aware of the concept and no words were spoken. And they asked me if I wanted to stay here or go. And I reflected and decided to go and I woke up and that was his experience. Um, what a profound wow. experience and the fact that he was able to relate that to you in, in that manner. So to give you, to share that experience with you, I think that what an amazing opportunity to, to really experience something like that without actually experiencing it. I am so fortunate and I would not be where I am today without having him had that experience. So, um, yeah, it just, it means the world to me. And, um, I guess, you know, from my standpoint of, not having had that experience, I sort of look at it as, um, you know, as much as it means the world to me, I also have my doubts. What is it? What's what's going on here? Mm -hmm. I think, you know, is there some sort of explanation? Did he have some sort of, you know, um, endogenous drugs in his body that's producing? The truth is, is that it doesn't matter because his experience is real to him. The experience that he had is a real experience. And you can say that, you know, there's some sort of drug in his brain that caused it. But at the end of the day, saying that is like equivalent to saying that, oh, because people have a rush of dopamine in their body, they're not truly yeah. experiencing love. He experienced this. And things really started to tilt. And I became more spiritual when I started reading. Um, shout out to Jeffrey Long's Near Death Experience Research Foundation. He, Jeffrey Long basically has this compendium of near-death experiences, and you can look at near-death experiences from people that are children, people that died during drowning, people that died from the Middle East, and astoundingly, what I discovered that almost, well, I shouldn't say almost everyone, there are a few different classes of near-death experiences, but way more than what probability would predict, this version of a near-death experience abounds in the literature, particularly the telepathic encounter, the message. Why would there be a telepathic encounter? Like most, if it was culturally indoctrinated, I would thought think that it would be spoken verbally, but yet mm -hmm. it's 
telepathically communicate. And in addition to that, there's one little other key note that he mentions that I noticed throughout the near-death experience literature is that he didn't refer to them as angels. See, someone that was very religiously loaded would go out and say angels, angels, angels. And there are, to be sure, some people that refer to them as angels, but the overwhelming majority refer to them as beings. They don't know how quite to describe them. It's getting back to my concept of ineffable is that there's nothing tangible that they, you can tell them my father is truly, truly, truly challenged to describe his experience. And what frustrates me is when people try to kind of pigeonhole it into a box and say, this is what it is, because this is how we see in the ordinary state of consciousness. They sort of miss out in this kind of larger world that we are part mm -hmm. of. So that's one aspect. Um, the last piece I'll mention that's interesting here is that um, when he's describing the mind-to-mind -mind communication, he doesn't also come out and say telepathically. He, that's very seldom mentioned in the literature, the word telepathy. Oftentimes, the experiencer will say, I don't know quite know how it was experienced. So what I'm trying to say is that effectively, the way these experiencers describe their experiences is consistent. It is as if, right. you know, you know it from your time in law enforcement. You need to have corroboration. You need to have multiple people talking about things in the same way. And it is corroborating in a overwhelming degree that I can't just simply write this off as just saying this is just a delusion. Because if this is a delusion, this is a serious delusion that the scientific method has been totally um, unable to uh, explain in, in, in my view. Well, ex exactly. And reality is, is that we, we all have different perceptions. We all see things differently. I mean, from my law enforcement career, I can tell you when you can talk to one witness and they'll say they saw this, 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 and this, and you go to the other witness and they'll say, well, I saw it from this, this, and that way. So you, you have, but you still have similarities within them, but just a different perspective on each one of them. Well, the same thing goes across the board. When you have other individuals that are experiencing NDEs, I've had other conversations with people that have experienced NDEs, and I belong to a couple of groups that discuss it um, uh, uh, weekly, actually, wow. and uh, the commonality of the conversations are are exactly, and the experiences are are exactly the same. And it transcends age, color, race, creed, religion. It it transcends that. It doesn't matter where you come from, whether you're from a different country, or whether or not you speak a different language, or whether or not you're old, you're young, you're middle aged, you're white, you're black, you're Jewish, you're Catholic. You know, yes. whatever the case may be, the answers are the same, which I find that commonality to be an amazing, an amazing outlook on the fact that we are all energy sources yeah. that, that have a common thread within us, at least from my perspective. We all are interconnected. We all are come from the same energy. We all, that's the reason I think we can, we can have that telepathic is, I know, you know he didn't express it that way that the mind to mind conversation and right. and understand each other without without a spoken word which is which is brilliant in my opinion that that cool. validates our existence yeah no i loved everything that you said there the one thing i would add to this discussion is that when you think of language itself like how are we even able to get from my meaning to your interpreting it language itself is proof that we're interconnected because if we weren't interconnected my words that i'm saying would be dead on arrival to you somehow 
there's a conscious being that's thinking these thoughts, spitting out symbols through words, phonetic symbols. You're, it's entering the mind of another person, and that being is able to then interpret it. If we weren't interconnected, we'd be cut off. You're interconnected with what you can impact, and that is uh, an example of it. So I think we feel as though we're separate because we do, though, have those kind of external, hard, cold symbols that separate us, I separate us in quotes, um, mm-hmm. but it becomes more apparent when it's bypassed directly through mystical experience, through near-death experience, and you're communicating through mind directly. Um, so absolutely, it's it's fascinating. It's fascinating. It's, it's, it is, it, I have to smile because it, it is, it is an amazing opportunity for us to understand that connection with ourselves, with nature, with the birds, the bees, the, the hummingbirds that come out to my backyard and come in front of my face and say, thanks for the flowers that are on these trees and move to the next one. It, or, the, or, or the rabbits that go through my front yard that stop and get a little bit of water. It is, it is all connected. And, and, and I feel that sometimes, dare I say this, unfortunately, we in today's society and through society and cultural practices, we've closed off that opportunity for us to oh, be yes. able to recognize that. So, you know, this hopefully this conversation today will uh, inspire some people and motivate some people to kind of take a better look, uh, a wider look in regard to what's available out there and what's beyond and what does exist within our own, um, within ourselves and within our environment around us as well as the people that are around us. Um, I have a quick question because yeah. I mean, we're, we're a little bit into this and I forgot to ask you this but earlier. When I first introduced you and when you sent me your bio, you say you're a psychonaut. Yeah. We, let's, let's, can we understand that? So let's, understand that? Apart, let's uh, learn the etymology of that, that phrase. So psycho is mind, not as traveler, like astronaut is space traveler. Psychonaut is mind traveler. So it means traveler of the mind. So I've been interested in this kind of mind exploration, consciousness exploration for a long time. That's been 20 years of lucid dreaming. I'm very interested in the kind of boundary between uh, waking state of consciousness, altered states of consciousness, and, um, you know, general mystical experience. And what I've found is that, again, we're all within our mind. We're never outside of our mind. The mind is the one thing that you can't remove. It's like you can't step outside your mind. You can never leave it. You can't ever walk away from it. Um, so it's 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 an idea that is at once scary because you can't quite prove the consciousness of other people outside of you. You need to rely on that through faith. Uh, so faith is something that I've learned throughout my spiritual journey that you, you need to have. You need to ultimately have faith in something. Um, but it's also quite beautiful because you see that this world in front of you is really no different than the, the emanation that's streaming off your dreams. So psychonaut means that it's just one that kind of appreciates the the movements of from self into waking state of consciousness, into dreaming state of consciousness, into altered state of consciousness, and that there's kind of a continuum of consciousness. We're sort of traveling through our own mind. Um, so that's sort of how I see it. I know that's kind of a roundabout way, but that's all right. That's a that's a great that's a great definition of what that is. I think yeah. that uh, 
in, in some form or another, I think we all are kind of psychonauts because we do allow ourselves to go. Anybody that meditates is probably a psychonaut because you get to go deep within yourself and um, you, know, you know, meditate. I say I put myself in a different place and I kind of explore um, explore meditation from that perspective. I think we're all kind of have the we all have the opportunity to be a psychonaut within ourselves. We just have to realize that um, or or understand how to take that journey within within that realm. You were talking. You brought this up in the part of your conversation about lucid dreaming. Yeah, uh, I understand what lucid dreaming is, but let's help our listeners, viewers, kind of really get a, a basis of what or a foundation of what lucid dreaming is, and and if it's a benefit to us. Yeah, so lucid dreaming is one way to wake up into the ecstasy of existence. It's about lucid dreaming. Effectively, is um, becoming aware that you're dreaming while you're dreaming. And it's actually surprisingly easy to induce, um, you know, what you need to start getting into the habit of doing during your waking life is doing reality checks. So every single time that something comes up that, um, you know, seems out of place, as much as you possibly can do a reality check. And this should be something simple, not something like, you know, the, the, the cliche one is pinch yourself to see if you're awake. What's better to actually look at your hand, close your eyes, and then open them. Do you see five fingers or do you see seven fingers? If you see more than five fingers, then you're probably dreaming. So once you're aware, then you're dreaming, you can then go out and fly into space or whatever you want to do during your lucid dreaming. But yeah, I think from my standpoint, um, lucid dreaming has been a tremendous benefit towards my spiritual practice. I actually did not start Again, this was during more of my skeptical days. I was just interested in more of the aspect of flying around in space and, you know, shooting bad guys and cool things like that. But uh, it's it's fun stuff. But ultimately, what it becomes, what you become aware of is that which is actually the dream? Is it the waking state or is it the dreaming state? And I'm trying to say there. I do believe that there's stability in this waking world for a reason. I believe there's an authenticity to this sort of experience. But the point is that it's another mind experience on the world. And so when you're waking up in your dreams, it's like you're now conscious again. You're now aware that you're dreaming. And you kind of see the boundary between the two. It, it starts to blur a little bit. And then there's also on the reverse side, what I call um, in psychiatry, there's kind of the reverse element when you have what's called derealization, where you're in the waking state of consciousness, but yet you feel like you're in a dream. So that's kind of the reverse side of things. Now you're seeing in the waking state, it's not much different than the dream. So they kind of, there's two sort of merged together. And I think they're aspects of kind of building a more mystically oriented life. And last point I'd make on the dreaming side is that when you think about it, you spend something like 20% of your life asleep. I think it's 20%. I can't do quick math in my head, but it's a lot of time that you spend dreaming. So why not live it? Why not enjoy your life? What's the difference between lucid dreaming and daydreaming? Mm, that's interesting. Daydreaming is, I guess, drifting off into uh, reverie during the waking state of consciousness. You're kind of just streaming off into that. Um, but it's interesting, like, as... I guess I'm sort of alluding to there's kind of concepts blurred together in a sense. Well, you know, it, 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 this allows us to be able to have a better understanding of ourselves and how we fit within the universe, how we fit on this planet. And, and you know, we all are looking for purpose. We all want a purpose in our life. And sometimes we think we're on our life purpose for being here. 
And sometimes we have to have a little nudge in regard to understanding what our purpose or our true purpose is. So this aspect of psychonaut and in lucid dreaming and delving more into uh, our mind and overlapping, you know, our connectedness with the universe, does that give us a, the opportunity to really kind of delve into finding our true purpose? Hmm, it's, it's an interesting question because now we're getting into sort of the the meaning behind this. And this is where I would kind of bring up William James's co second required concept of religious experiences called the noetic concept. This is the concept where states of mystical experience impart on you a kind of a lasting authoritative meaning to them. You kind of you forget your experience. They're transient. But at the same time, you're left with some sort of instruction. You know, I describe my mystical experiences that I'm given instructions to sort of how am I to live my life after the experience? How am I to better the world? Um, you know, what, what am I here for? So absolutely, I think, you know, finding that answer, what is your purpose is a really complex question. I'm not going to just, you know, shoot out. This is what my purpose is. I think it's another one of those kind of ineffable concepts that maybe is perhaps on earth through mystical uh vision through religious ecstasy through lucid dreams uh, i think once you dig into and you get a better sense though in general of like what the nature of self is that it's ultimately we're all living in a mental construction of ourselves and who we imagine ourselves to be this is you know we see ourselves as this is a body we feel like we're in a body but this is at least from my my worldview this is an avatar that our mind creates for ourselves we're sort of dreaming ourselves and our world together. Um, we live in hallucination. We think that um, we see, for instance, solid objects, but what the scientific method has shown is that something like 99%, the vast majority of it is empty space. Actually, it's not quite empty. It's, it gets more complicated than that, but it's very, very, very abstract. And I think that once people start having these experiences and they see how abstract the nature of self is they start feeling this sense of interconnectedness and they start treating each other maybe with a lot more love and this is where we get into the concept of the golden rule treat others how you yourself would like to be treated because because we're all one we have a fundamental basis to love one another to take care of one another to forgive one another the current rate that we're going on as you are well aware is not a sustainable path uh, we're going through right now what's called the Anthropocene extinction event. We're killing out life at the rate of 100 to 1,000 times the normal background extinction rate. We're destroying Earth because we have forgotten our connection to nature. It is absolutely imperative that people have these experiences so they can course correct now before it's too late. Um, you know, there's going to be many iterations of us out there, so. I'm ultimately an optimist with this thing, an eternal optimist, but I care about the human um, journey. I care about the animal journey. I care about the plant journey and us sort of moving forward together as one sort of spirit. Um, because, you know, it's sad. I think when you look at something like after this interview, something like 200 football fields of the Amazon uh, will be lost will been taken down so what because of what because we needed more material goods i think when we start recognizing that the real magic is being alive 
being one with nature, enjoying nature, enjoying one another, caring for one another, helping one another out. We move away from those material obsessions and we move into actually focusing on source. And I think that you go to um, Eastern countries where they sort of have this worldview, it's no surprise. Um, mental health is a lot better there than it is here, even though we have great rates in terms of economic productivity here. It hasn't meant anything in terms of mental health. Yeah, it's it is the distinction within that itself. I think is a, is a a huge gap. I, I have spoken, you know, to so many people across the world, so many different perceptions of what we're doing to this earth, and in 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 what we're doing to ourselves. And I, I like how you put it a little bit ago about the extinction rate is just immense and it is multiplying and perpetuating upon itself at such a rate that we are going to disappear here pretty soon if we do not recognize what's going on and whether or not we have the ability to stop it, which we do have the ability to stop it. If there were certain factors that weren't put into place that continue to put obstacles in our path in order to help fix this all the way around. I think that we, we need to, as humanity, we need to do a better job of educating others. And again, going back to what you said a little bit ago about empathy and compassion and understanding and taking care of each other and loving one another and understanding that we are all human beings. We are all people that are connected to the earth, the animals, the trees, the bushes, the birds, the bees, the alligators and the elephants. Everything that's out there, we have a connection to as well. And we're all in this together from that perspective. Your statement a few minutes ago was profound. Thank you for that. I mean, it, it was, again, it was profound. I appreciate that very much. Um, <clears throat> that brings me to the, to the question that, that I, I've had, but you kind of emphasized a little just a few minutes ago. Is there a distinction between me and you? Yeah, so that's where we get into the concept of the nature of self. And I think that there are three different worldviews here. I'm don't, I, I do have one worldview that I kind of lean towards as of now, but it's constantly shifting. And I'd say in context to the ineffable, all these worldviews are rather kind of kind of side topics. I think once you have a mystical experience, you transcend and you see beyond all worldviews. But intellectually speaking, uh, the way I go into it in my book is that there are three different worldviews. The one that's most common is what I call the many worlds. Uh, I call it the many souls hypothesis. That is that there are many souls out there. There's kind of a before life and then there's an afterlife. I think a lot of spiritual people sort of uh, cling to that worldview. It's, it provides, there's a lot of you know, enjoyable aspects to that um, reincarnation and all that stuff. Um, however, on the same token, I think that there is sort of another vein of thought, another variation of the many souls hypothesis. That is um, more of an atheistic view. And that is that there's no before life, there's no afterlife. It's just that there are many souls that are being born. And that's what makes me, me and you, you. It's just the result of certain ingredients. So there are many souls out there and we just happen to be the lucky ones. Um, another view that's a bit more extreme and on the scary end of things is solipsism is this idea that there's only one um, self, you, and that you're God. Um, there's no one outside of yourself. And it's scary in the sense that you can't, I'd, I'd say you can't disprove that 
at least from my point of view in the here and now, because even if I were to go to you and say, you know, Michael, are you conscious? For all I know, you can be a dream character in my mind. So I, this is where, again, you know, um, secular minded people will, will sneeze at it. But um, this is where faith is absolutely imperative. You're going to have to have faith in something. And uh, I have faith that that is not the situation. The last view that has not been explored view explored a lot is what I call simultaneous dreaming. It is this view that behind every living creature, behind every sleeping eyelid, behind every single life form, there is one universal self that is everyone. So in other words, I am you, you are me. We are a continuum of consciousness and there is no extinguishment to self because whenever you're born, you're always going to be born um, in the individual that you are. So you can sort of think of the universe as basically like one living organism that just having different experiences. And in each experience, it's like it's having a Michael Hurst experience. It's having an Alex Berkeley experience. It's having, I don't know your your, your pet's name. Maybe, I don't know if you have pets, but Charlie. It's, having, Charlie, it's having a Charlie experience. It's having an alien experience from someone um, millennium to the future because space and time is all relative. All of us are part of one universal self. So when you die, it's sort of like getting amnesia. It's like, who were we when we first started this conversation? That's sort of what it's like. Do, does it really matter that we're not there anymore? When another version of us comes up, I feel like it's going to be the same thing. So as of now, I'm kind of, I like this view. Um, it's called monopsychism. I call it simultaneous dreaming because it's like you're dreaming at you know two points concurrently. But uh, it, it's a profound view because it eliminates the fear of death. There is no such thing as death. There's only existence. Um, and you start treating each other with a, a lot more love. You start following the golden rule. Um, and, you know, it just, it, to me, it's brought me a lot of comfort. Well, I, I, what it, I, all three of those concepts are very, very interesting. I think the first time I've heard of, of all of them listed sequentially like that because it gives me room for thinking a lot more I think I think you know I'm, I want to explore a little bit more of, of all of those concepts to kind of get a better understanding I believe from my perspective I believe in reincarnation I think that uh, we our soul lives on and then we come back and we have another experience I still believe that each time is from my perspective I think when we come down here again we come down here to experience again and yep. And then, you know, we will do that perpetually until we're ready to, to stop and say, I'm, I think I'm done with this and, and then go back to source and stay there, um, which, which some people may think of as heaven, yeah. you know, from, from that perspective. Uh, it, it, in, it kind of brings up this question, um, I guess it, it, it's all relative within regard to this, but I personally think that there's a difference between re organized religion and spiritualism. So do you find a distinction between between that as well? Or, you know, help me understand what your perspective of spiritualism is. It, it's a complicated uh, topic. But before I uh, forget, that, I want to add one important note onto that. These three, three theories that I laid down are not necessarily like totally mutually exclusive. There are many more theories out there. They're just one example. And in fact, even though I sort of and very sympathetic to this third one I listed, I too also believe in reincarnation. I believe in that concept. So they can sort of meld together, um, mm -hmm. you know, kind of. A little overlap. Spiritual, 
Yeah. Yeah, a little overlap, which, which you know, I mean, I, I think that in itself is our experience. You know, it, it's like what I follow the philosophies of Bruce Lee, and it helped me get out of a wheelchair, actually. So I believe in this, this concept within ourselves that we, we learn and experience, and we take what from that experience, and we learn that in what we can't use, we throw away. So learn yeah. everything, and then take what you can learn, move forward positively in life, which you can't use, throw it away, because it's not, use, not good for you. <coughs> Excuse me. But as for your, um, your question, do I see a difference between religion and spirituality? Yeah, I would say I generally do. And I see religion as more kind of the bureaucratized version of spirituality. It's been more packaged. And I'd say, though, that um, I'm not an expert on that, so it would behoove me to go into kind of the details of, you know, what are, what's, um, you know, uh, what's truly spiritual about it and what maybe more kind of indoctrination. I don't, I don't know. I'm not an expert on it. I will say though, that it is my view that, um, that the founding basis of a lot of the world's religions were based on, um, the private lonely seer. This is something that Abraham Maslow, a great psychiatrist wrote. It was based on true, genuine, mystical experience. And this is why you hear over and over again through some of the world's religions, Golden. You see various versions of that. Treat people with love. Treat them as you would like yourself to be treated. However, over time, it's been passed through a lot of different people, and it's become sort of word salad. And you know, it's a, it's a sensitive topic for people. So it has turned into something that I think it's been. I think its greatest practitioners have not intended for it to become. Um, so it's become a little bit of a. Um, a little bit of a battle between establishing what is authentically mystical and what is more kind of a, just a community-based event. Uh, but yes, I do. You know, it's from my perspective. I say uh, earlier when we had this conversation, and, and my audience knows well that I grew up Catholic, but I'm not a practicing Catholic um, for many reasons. But I won't go into those reasons today. But it, I did explore other churches uh, with my mother. Uh, because my mother and father divorced, and when they divorced, uh, the Catholic Church excommunicated her, basically, because of the divorce. So she had to seek somewhere else, and she was devout Catholic at that time, so she felt kind of lost. So we we explored the Nazarene Church, the Presbyterian Church, the, um, the Baptist Church, Southern Baptist, you name it, we went to it, everything except for Mormon and Jewish, because Mormon, you have to be Mormon to actually go into into the... Uh, tabernacles and everything, but you know, it gave me a a different perception of organized religion compared to my my spiritual aspect of life, and that I've grown into um, as I have evolved and had a better understanding of the universe that we live in and what does exist here and what we don't know yet that exists. And that's that's well, one reason for the one more thing before you go is because. I believe that there is more out there than we see or feel or hear or taste or touch, and that we have the ability, the opportunity to explore those. We just need a guide in order to do that. And I think that you know what you're presenting, like in your book that you have kind of, which we'll talk about here in a few minutes. Um, you know, you're kind of giving us a guidebook in regard to helping explore those those opportunities. Um, what made you want to become an author? 
Uh, yeah, so it, basically what happened was that, um, as I mentioned, I was skeptical for the longest time period. And then, of course, I had my father's near-death experience when I it happened, I think, when I was around nine. Um, and that kind of planted a seed, but it wasn't until 22 or so when I had my first um, mystical experience that I remembered. Um, and I think then after a while, I just was kind of focused on work and stuff. But then what happened is that it sort of forced its head on me. And I had so many issues of cognitive dissonance coming in, so many synchronicities, which synchronicities, um, you know, for the listeners out there, is basically meaningful coincidences that happen that are too uncanny to just dismiss as mere probability. Uh, I had a number of them happened and uh, happened, and that just kind of left me thinking, I got to find some sort of explanation. So it sort of started as kind of a, um, a, a kind of self-help journey almost to kind of write catalog my thoughts. But then as I was writing, I said, you know, this maybe helps some other people out there that are going through some things. I just felt that there are a lot of people out there that are very skeptical towards this phenomenon. They mean well. Um, they have, you know, they're, they're skeptical for good reason, but they haven't had a mystical experience, so they don't know. And you don't know what you don't know. So having had one, I'm now trying to communicate as if to my past self and to other people out there who haven't had one that this stuff is real. I think a lot of people including myself, felt that this was very much just kind of, oh, you know, this is a feel-good thing. This is just pop spirituality. I'm going to go onto a yoga mat and do some yoga and, you know, feel groovy. And that that's it. No, this is actual real revelation. This is real insight that you're getting. And a lot of people, when it hits them, in fact, they have what's called a spiritual emergency, which is what I've had happen to me and they have to go they have to speak to a psychiatrist they have to ask am i going crazy am i losing it there's all sorts of phenomenon like that going on there's the jerusalem syndrome where people go to jerusalem and then become you know they have visions and like they want to know what's going on with me previously i was a normal person now i'm seeing things that just are not supposed to happen so my book was an effort to sort of provide structure around this process that was becoming de destructured. I was learning that the rules that I previously thought were just ironclad were not actually rules of the universe. They were just mere perceptions of what was possible. And it was just sort of a window into reality. And once I saw that that re window wasn't right there, the boundary between fantasy, reality, delusion, truth sort of started to blend together. I had phenomena that I just can't explain like things like one time I was in my room and I was just thinking of the letter 333 over and over again. I couldn't, I, I'm not a big numerology guy. I've never really, now I know about it because of this situation, but I had no idea what numerology was, was and quite frankly, I would think it was quackery before this experience. And I kept thinking about 333 and then I went into my father's bedroom and he said, Oh, David, the very first thing he said was, oh, David, the football team lost by three points in the last three games to this team over the last three seasons. And I said, what? How can this be? And then I thought to myself, well, you know, it wasn't 333 that was the number. It was 555. So then the next day, 
what happens is I'm sitting in my room watching America's Got Talent of all things. And then the magician sort of reveals the card of the um, unwitting participants, flips it over. And what lo and behold, there it is five. And then he repeats on the sky. You can see in the sky and the cereal on the TV everywhere. Five, 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 five. And many instances of this, of like thinking that my mom's going to come in with a pizza box. And then sure enough, she opens the door and there she is with a pizza box. I had no idea that she was going to bring pizza. Um, it's, it's just not not something that you expect. And I was so glued to the fact these things happen. And it's very disturbing to me that. A lot of people are having these experiences. They're not getting a sort of worldview out there to sort of contextualize their experience, particularly when they grew up in a mindset that just values intellectualism, reason, things that you can put to order. Just means we don't have an explanation for this phenomena. Doesn't mean that it's not happening. It's just that we don't have the worldview to sort of describe it, but it's happening. And um, yeah, you know, it could just, I'm not, the skeptical side of me says that it could just be dumb luck. It could just be coincidence. No, but I think it's an amazing opportunity that the universe presented yeah. to you to open your eyes and your soul to really what does exist out there. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it was, the numbers were put right in front of you. And, and I do have to ask you this question. Do you remember what the magician's name was? I don't, but I'll, afterwards I'll tell you what the um, America's Got Talent was. You can see it, but it was pretty clear. It was not just simple five reveal. It was very much pushed in your face, five, 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 uh, almost trying cool. to roll you into a trance. It was very... Um, when we get yeah. down, I'll tell you something about um, America's Got Talent that uh, is unique. Um, <clears throat> well, it, it, it's, it's unique to me, at least, uh, to me and my wife. Uh, well, let's talk about a little bit. I know we're about closing out here, so I don't want to miss this opportunity to tell everybody about your your book, the name of your book, Why Does Reality Exist, where they can get it, when it's coming out, because it's not published yet, but it will be coming out soon. Can we talk about that and tell us about your website? Yeah, so uh, my book is right now on the editing phase. It's, I have a great editor. Shout out to Micro Ireland. She's been working very hard on um, the first draft, I just finished the manuscript to that, so it's now on its second draft, uh, but it's planning to come out on fall. You can get it online at whydoesrealityexist.com. I think I'm going to put it out for very inexpensive, if not free, then maybe $2 or so to just cover my costs. But um, really, I'm trying to kind of provide listeners an opening to understand the concept of interconnectedness, uh, the golden rule, helping one another, and... Yeah, the way the book is structured is that it's structured in four different sections. So what I call them is the four different dimensions of thought. The first section is deals with essays. That is one that's more geared towards the psychonaut experience of linear thought. So that's kind of the waking state of consciousness, the ordinary state of consciousness. Then there's another section that's parables. This is more forwards towards more imaginative states. Then there's imagine. Then there's images there's a, a third section on images sort of like tarot cards where it's you know you kind of more of a creative aspect to it and the final one final dimension of thought is stream of consciousness where it is um only going to be understood if you're in more of a trance state so that's not each of them conveys the message but it conveys conveys it in different dimensions of thought so it's different so it's conducive for different um, mind states. Uh, so that's that's the book, Why Does Reality Exist? 
Do you have on your website maybe a, a, a waiting list or something or a, an email list that people can sign up for in order to get on the list for when it is released? Yeah. If you scroll to the bottom, there's a, a subscribe button. If you enter your email there, um, you know, let me know uh, your interest and I'll be happy to email you a, a free copy of the book when it does come out. That'd be amazing. I'll make sure that that's in the show notes as well so that uh, people have a way of connecting with you just by clicking the link. So make it yeah. easy, quick, and simple for them. Uh, Alex, thank you very much. For, I Thank you for reaching out to me. This was an amazing conversation in, in, in a journey that you've been on that uh, it kind of opened my eyes a little bit more than what they were before. So I appreciate you. Yeah, thank you. It's been a pleasure being on. Yeah, it, it's. I do have... This is one more thing before you go. So before we go, do you have any words of wisdom you can share with everybody? I would say just appreciate the ecstasy of being alive because the real miracle is being alive. The fact that, you know, why are we having any experience in the world? Why are there things called colors? What's it like to be alive? The fact that we are here right now in this moment, the listener is here. There's actually a conscious being you that is listening to this right now and you're alive. And that's an incredible experience. Wow. Wow. So that's appreciate existence uh, and uh, the, the great mystery into the beyond. Those are brilliant words of wisdom. Um, thank you very much for doing that, for sharing those. Uh, I will make sure that today, again, everything is in the show notes so that they have an easy way to get a hold in touch with you. Thank you again for being part of the show. I really appreciate you. And, uh, uh, I hope to have you back on again. We can uh, talk after your book is released. Absolutely. Very cool. Thank you very much, everybody out there for listening and watching. Uh, don't miss out on this transformative experience. Hit the subscribe button and click the notification bell to stay tuned for more thought-provoking content. Remember to like this and share it with fellow seekers of truth. Until the next time, keep questioning, keep exploring, keep seeking the magic in every moment. And thank you. For watching. Thanks for listening to this episode of One More Thing Before You Go. Check out our website at beforeyougopodcast.com. You can find us as well as subscribe to the program and rate us on your favorite podcast listening platform.